Thank you, John. This mic was obviously set for me and not John. (laughs) I just refuse for the year to go by without us reading the Christmas story. And uh, we had to have it read this morning. So let's pray. Father, we are grateful and thankful for the story of how you came to us. And we ask as we look at it and look at the Gospel of Luke that you be with us this morning. You be with us as we take communion. And Father, we recognize this, uh, that the incarnation is already Easter because you chose to come with us and to us and live among us. And we thank you for that gift. In Jesus' name, amen. This, uh, this does mark uh, the end of the holiday season. How do I know that? Because college football season is over. It's almost over. <laughs> it's over, right? Uh, New Year's Day usually marks the end of the season. And uh, we've kind of gone through all the, you know, and uh, it, you may be breathless with just the majesty of it all and, and maybe the ice and the snow this year. I don't know. Um, it's, uh, you may be breathless because of all the, all the packages buying and the, sell, and the, and the wrapping and the, and the preparing for guests or you may be traveling for Christmas or whatever. All the, he- all the hectic stuff that goes with it, you know, it, it kind of leaves us breathless for various reasons and not all, of them, not all of the reasons are good. Sometimes we're just breathless because of the, the pace of everything. It's like, well, my, my hope for this morning is that we just take a breath. Take a deep breath and relax, and that we hear the story read. We sing the songs. Um, oh, come all you faithful, I still cannot sing that song and not hear my dad's tenor voice in that song. Uh, that just, it just moves me every single time I hear it and sing it. And so that's what I want us to do. I want us to breathe today and breathe and just rest. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 2 the great story of Jesus coming. I mentioned on the first Sunday of Advent, what, four or five weeks ago, that uh, it must have been difficult when the four gospel writers sat down to write the gospels and, and how difficult it might have been to, to begin. How do we begin with this? How do we begin with this story that nobody saw coming, that just shocked everybody? How do we start it? And so you've got, I got Mark who calls him the son of God. And it says, this, you know, this is the Son of God. Uh, you've got John with the, the lofty theological declaration of, of, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was the light of life for all humankind, and darkness will not overcome it. And then you have Matthew who gives us this long introduction of the genealogy of Jesus, the good, the bad, and the ugly of the genealogy of Jesus, all tracing it back and, and making this story, you know, grounded in the, the roots in the Jewish history and Jewish tradition. And it's really important that they do that because uh, this is a new story. This is something that nobody saw coming, and so they've got to start with what people know, what we know, and then move from there. That this is in the line of tradition, this is in the line of Scripture, this is in the line of the theology of of the Hebrew Scriptures. Well, Luke, well, Mark starts with the Son of God, Matthew starts with the genealogy, John starts with theology, Luke starts with music. 
the first two chapters are songs. He begins with this warm introduction to his good friend Theophilus and tells him that he's going to, you know, all this stuff has been going around and he wants to lay out the truth. And then the next two chapters is just bathed with songs. And, and we know they're songs because they're in poetry form. And we also know that when, when the Jews read the poetry, they sang them or chanted them maybe. And so we, it, starts, it just starts with music. And I just think that's a wonderful place to start the story is with music. And we know that, um, that the Jews love to sing. I mean, if you've ever seen Fiddler on the Roof, that's all they do is sing, right? <laughs> it, we watched uh, Hamilton with, uh, with my daughter this week. She had it on, on her streaming device, and so we watched Hamilton for the first time. Sue and I had never seen it. And what do you know? The, the, um, the founding fathers were into hip-hop. <laughs> Who knew? So... But we do know that the Jews love to sing. They do love to sing. And what Luke does, it begins here, he starts with this wide-angle picture of Herod and calls him, of course, the king of the Jews in a very, I could almost see him with a smirk on his face writing that, this kind of ironic thing, Herod, king of the Jews. But then he immediately zeroes in, zeroes in on this childless, elderly couple, Zachariah and Elizabeth. And he tells them about this extraordinary birth that's going to happen to them. And it, that's, that seems to be the pattern throughout the scriptures. All through the Old Testament, God is moving through these extraordinary births. Barren women having children. And every time there's a song that comes with it. And every time there's something God fulfilling a promise, there's music, there's, there's praise, there's doxology. And we see that all through the Old Testament, it's as if God wants us to know, hey, I'm doing this. I'm a part of this. All of these births that come along here, it's because of me doing this. And he wants us to know that. And then, of course, we move to Mary, which is probably the most shocking and extraordinary birth of them all. This young teenager who's never been with a man and that she is pregnant, which is the most extraordinary birth of all the, of a long line of extraordinary births and so this is a new song Zachariah sings a new song Mary sings a new song the angels sing a new song it's all of this music coming together and it's a new song that they have never heard before it's got the tradition it's got the the, the roots in Jewish history and Jewish theology and yet this is something really new and it's all the songs are about the strength for the powerless there's hope for the oppressed there's freedom for the enslaved all the songs are about this it's like this it's the first two chapters is like a musical except much more truth and much deeper than the normal broadway musical this is about fulfilled promises the music here is richer it's bursting with promise it's a new song of healing and hope it's a new song that carries the power of God that priests and, and, and rulers and emperors cannot produce themselves, nor can they prevent it. This is what the new song is all about. And what Luke does is he takes this message of this new song of, of, of this people who sing, and this people who sing is in direct opposition to the rulers of the day, the grip of Caesar on the community. You see, rulers don't sing, they decree. 
And that's what the rulers were doing here. They don't sing. They decree. And so it starts off with this, this decree of, of having to register. And it's not just a matter of getting information. This is so they can be taxed. And this is so that they can be controlled. And First Chronicles attributes this sort of mechanical, this political machinery as satanic. And he's right. There is a Satanist feel to tyranny and oppression. And that's the picture we get here. And these songs are just direct opposite of that. And the census is there. It's not just, Luke's not telling us this just because for dramatic effect or just because he thinks it's an interesting detail that we ought to know. He is saying this because what he's going to show us is the songs that are in opposite of the decree, that are in direct opposition to what the tyranny, the tyrants are trying to do. And so it seems to make sense that this is a perfect way to begin because these songs begin to create cracks in the tyranny. They, they begin to, to present cracks in the old order, the old way of doing things. So this birth of the new, new king is, is directly in conflict with all that. There's freedom from oppression. There's forgiveness from old crimes. There's erasing of old debts. All this thing that was old has now had this new movement about them. It's a new movement of grace. All the songs contain grace, a new beginning, a new heaven, a new earth. In John, we see the new creation. In Mark, we see the Son of God. In Matthew, we see Emmanuel, God with us. And in Luke, we see that he is, Jesus is presented as the only king we need. He's the only one we need. He's the only king we need. And it stands in direct opposition to the controls of the tyrants, to the decrees of old, the old order. And what's interesting to me in, this, in these passages is not the ones who are singing it, Zechariah's song and Mary's song, and then the angel choirs. Those, those are, we'll, we'll look at those a little bit later in a minute, but, but it also impressed me of who's listening. Who's hearing this? No mention of Caesar's representatives. Not one. They're too busy counting. Too busy extorting. And there's no listener here from the temple. None of the religious pious are here. The people who are listening are the one on the bottom of the social ladder. With the exception of maybe Zechariah. But these are the ones, the shepherds are listening. These are the ones, these are the nobodies who are listening. The old order is nothing left. There's nothing left in the old order except enslavement and guilt and judgment and hostility. That's all gone. The songs here reflect the theme of the new order, the new king. And basically it's the kind of the summary of all the candles that we, that we light during the Advent season of joy and peace and faith and love and hope. All those things kind of join into Zachariah's song, Mary's song, and finally the angel's song. Zechariah has a song of rescue, of deliverance, of grace and mercy, of peace and forgiveness and life. And Mary's song is like this one big yes from God to the dignity of human beings. From the bottom to the top, a complete turnaround. And the angel's song is for joy and peace 
on all people. And just looking at this passage a little bit carefully, it's almost like Luke emphasizes the word all in here. He makes it at the very beginning of the phrase. All. They never saw it coming. Totally new. A totally new song. And they're saying there's one more song that we're going to sing. And that's the shepherds to the shepherds. And what's interesting is after, this, after Mary sings and Elizabeth sings, Zachariah sings, uh, it is interesting to me also that Elizabeth is the great, 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 great granddaughter of Aaron, the brother of Moses, that this appears in this priestly family. Zachariah, a priest, Elizabeth, the great, great, great granddaughter of, a, of the first priest. And I just find this incredibly interesting. But then who picks up the song? The shepherds in verse 20. They leave praising God. And I don't think they were just walking along going, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. <laughs> you know that they were singing. They were singing the Psalms probably. Maybe singing the prophets. And I just think that's, so, that's such a strong implication for us. And that's why our Christmas seasons are just so full of music. In the church and outside the church. In the choirs with Mariah Carey, you know. Everybody sings at Christmas time. And it shouldn't surprise us. Because we pick it up. Zachariah sings, Mary sings, the angels sing. And then finally, the shepherds carry on the tune. And they sing. This new song carries the power of God that priests and kings can neither produce nor prevent. It is that strong. And the other reason I think that, that we sing it is because we can't explain it. I have a bunch of books on theology in my office over here. And to me, not one of them moves me like, Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, all ye faithful. I can dissect it. I can look at it, I can chart the paragraph, I can graph the paragraph. That's what they teach you in class. But when it comes down to it, I can't explain it. I can only sing it. I can sing it. So we're going to have communion this morning, but before we do that, I would like to just mention a few things. This song is really, uh, as much as, as complicated as it is, as, as kind of deep as it is, it's really a song of simplicity. But it is possible to not sing it well. We do have our own songs that we sing. Every other culture sings. Every culture, I just listened to a, a, a show on the radio yesterday where they were, they were interviewing a singer from South Africa. And she says, oh yes, from South Africa, we grow up singing. Everybody sings harmony in South Africa. Every culture sings. Every language sings. Every nation sings. Every people sing. And we have our own songs that we sing that we pass on generation to generation to pass on the truth. I don't know if you knew this or not, but today, January 1st, 2023, this is the 250th anniversary of Amazing Grace. It was written 250 years ago and sung for the first time on January 1st. And uh, the, the, the little article I read out of it, they were saying, you know, a lot of people don't know the story. Most of us, a lot of us know the story of John Newton, who was a, a human trafficker. 
He was the captain of a slave ship, and he almost died in a shipwreck, and he came to Christ. He became a preacher, and he wrote Amazing Grace, and later became an abolitionist, and he wrote Amazing Grace. And then that song was kind of taken in. A lot of people associate it with, with uh, Negro spirituals. It was taken on by the slaves, and then it became kind of an anthem in, in the 20th century. That's one of our songs that we just pass on. We can't explain grace too much, but we can sing it. But there is a way we take this song of the incarnation and we can sing it off key, okay? How do we sing it off key? We distort the song when we rationalize our own private exploitation and injustice. It's easy for us to point at, at Quirinius or Caesar or Herod or, the, or the, the Pharisees or whatever, we can point to them, and those people are powerful, they have a big voice, but even in our little voice, in our little dominion, we too can exploit and we can manipulate and we can act unjustly. We distort it when we do it personally. And if we really believe that God's image is implanted on every person, think about that for a minute. That every time we exploit someone, we're exploiting the image of God. When we slap someone, we're slapping the image of God. When we kill someone, we are killing the image of God. In essence, any act of uh, physical, emotional, psychological, sexual, political, economic uh, abuse or violence, we are, we, are attempting, we are attempting to crush the image of God serious business. We distort the song when we rationalize our own private exploitation and injustice. We distort the song when we sing it only for ourselves, and we only sing it to ourselves. The song was meant to be passed on. The song was meant to be shared. The song is meant to be passed on from generation to generation. How many it, we, we, we may be more concerned just about our own comfort and our own accommodations right here, right now, in this moment, and we don't think about what we're doing for the future and how many children are paying the debt of our hatred or abuse in the present, and they will be paying for it for the rest of their lives. This song is not just for ourselves. This song is meant to be shared. It's meant to be passed down. It's meant to be continued on generation after generation. And we distort the song when we credit something else as the source of life. When we think of something else as the source of life, when we, put, when we idolize, for example, a political ideology, or we idolize a particular religion, or we idolize a philosophy, and we, think, and we pretend that the life is there, or we pretend that the power is there, then we have created an idol. When we distort the song where we credit anything else as the source of life, we're distorting the song. The source of life is only in Christ, only in Jesus. But we can't learn to carry a tune. We allow the song to interrupt your current tune. We all kind of have songs we tell, we sing to ourselves, songs we tell ourselves both of our successes and our failures and we keep telling ourselves over and over again of our shame, of our judgment, of our guilt or of our successes, our wonder or, or our pride but we allow the song to interrupt us 
and draws back to the truth. I could dare you to meditate on the song of Zachariah and Mary. I mean, it is really, it can really pierce the heart. Allow the song to teach you what you don't know already. We think that we know it all already. And we don't allow it to be changed or allowed to change us. We think we know it, we think we have it, we just want to hear the same thing over and over again, told in the same way with the same tune. But this will allow us to, to teach us something we don't already know. What's really interesting, or ironic actually, is that we come to Christ oftentimes in this state of humbleness and humility. And then, especially, we, we talk about, we used to talk about these testimonies, these gutter to God testimonies. You know, drug, sex, and rock and roll, and then I met Jesus. And we do come to, this, come to Christ in this form of humility and humbleness. And oddly enough, once we know God, our ego starts to reascend. And that's what's so odd. We become self-righteous and arrogant and thinking we know it all. But allow the song to teach us something we don't already know. Even if it shatters our status quo, even if it takes us out of comfort, let it do that. Allow the song to make the secular sacred. Allow the song to take, make the secular sacred. There is no difference. There is no secular and sacred now that Christ has come. That's the whole point of the destruction of the temple, the ripping of the veil, that heaven and earth have come together. There is only sacred and defiled. There is no sacred and secular. There is no two worlds. And we keep singing that over and over. We keep singing that song, singing that song to remind us that the secular, that what that's out there is really sacred. That it's holy. And that's why we meet together on Sunday mornings. We meet together on Sunday mornings to sing each other the story, to sing each other the song. We meet, each, we meet together on Sunday mornings to remind us because it's so easy to forget the words. And so we remind each other to remind us. And I hope that on Sunday mornings, you know, we have an experience with God. But the real reason we meet on Sunday morning is so that you will have an experience with God on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and the rest of the week. That's why we encourage each other to stay in the Word and to spend time in prayer. It is impossible to not live in the presence of God. It's just that we are oblivious to it. We cannot not live in God's presence, but we can be oblivious to it. We must be aware of it. Most of us have heard St. Patrick's prayer, God beneath you, God in front of you, God behind you, God above you, God within you. It's just that we have to remember that he's there. We have to be aware. You cannot not live in the presence of God. For the new year, let me give you a phrase maybe to try to remember every day. God's life is living itself in me. I am aware of life with a capital L living itself in me. If we can take that into the new year, how different would our life be? 
God's life is living itself in me. I am aware of the life living itself in me. God beneath me, God in front of me, God behind me, God above me, God within me. And the song stays with us. The song will stay with us. This new song carries with it a power of God that others can't either produce and they can't prevent. Regardless of the situation, regardless of the authority, regardless of the tyranny, regardless of the circumstances, the power of God cannot be produced by something else, nor can it prevent it. It is because of the incarnation, because of Jesus deciding to be with us, God with us, God chooses to dwell with us. We're going to do communion this morning, and I would like to lead us through some time of prayer. We um, usually kind of have an extended time of prayer on the first before the the message, but I'm going to do it. I want to like to spend some time in prayer this morning, and I want us to breathe. I want us to breathe in the presence of God. God's life is living itself in us. Let us be aware of life living itself in us. So I just want us to breathe, recenter our scattered thoughts and selves and whatever is going on and recenter in the presence of God. And let, I want to read uh, Hebrews 12 for the new year, verses 1 through 3. It's in the, I'm reading it from the message, so it will sound different to you, but I liked what it said, so that's what I'm going to use. <laughs> Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on, it means we better get on with it. Strip down, start running, never quit. No extra spiritual fat. No parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it. Because he never lost sight of where he was, where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. When you find yourself flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through, and that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. So I want to spend a couple of minutes, just a couple, to look back over 2022. Think about times over the years that were highlights. Think about the times that were low, maybe even catastrophic, maybe even shameful. And just spend time there for a minute.
The psalmist says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Father, we ask you to be near. Everyone in this room who has been having their heart broken this past year, we commit ourselves to you and know that you save those who are crushed in spirit. Father, we also recognize the joys that we have. And then we pray that we build on that and teach us to trust you for the future. Amen. Here in this passage of, of, out of Hebrews, um, we are encouraged not to dwell too much on the past. So we want to move forward. Don't dwell too much on the failures or the successes. But he says, fix our eyes on Jesus to where he's leading and guiding us. So now let's take some time to look ahead into 2023 and how do you feel about the new year? What are you hoping for? What are you excited about? What are you apprehensive about? What are you fearing? What are your anxieties? Let's think about that for a little bit and then we'll, we'll surrender, and surrender that to the Lord Jesus this morning. Now I'm going to ask you to turn those prayers outward. Ask God to show you people in your life who you need to be praying for right now through their anxieties and apprehensions, but also their hopes. I'm going to invite you to pray with me as I pray out loud. Loving Father, I yield all that I am. All that I have felt during the last year. All that I'm feeling right now as I prepare to enter a new year. I surrender all that I am feeling about 2023 to you. And I yield myself to you and your plans for the coming year. Help me to throw off anything that will hold me back. We ask you to carry me forward, Father. To carry forward the good things that I've gained and learned in 2022. And Father, I ask that as we take the sacrament of the Lord's Supper this morning, 
Help us to fall in love with you all over again. Help us to love you not just with our mind, but with our heart and with our soul. Amen.